going through a series corresponding with that little book, The Steps to Christ, and today the message entitled, A Knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. As Just as a brief overview, we've seen that God loves us and that we respond to that love by giving our lives to Him in full, complete surrender, repentance. And once we become uh, converted to Him, we become more like Him in our daily walk and we work for His cause and we want to be more like Jesus every day. So now the question is, now that we've come to Christ's repentance, we've become more like Him, we're working for His cause how do we maintain or even grow our spiritual walk after we've come to Christ? And that's the burden of our message, a knowledge of God. But before we begin, of course, we need to begin with a word of prayer. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this beautiful day. And we particularly thank you for this word of God that you've given and trusted us with. And as we study it today, Please help us to understand it as you would have us do and make application in our lives so that we may be continually growing in grace. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus would teach the people, oftentimes he would teach them indirectly through an agency called a parable. Short story with a greater moral, but it teaches it. It's a vehicle for teaching, if you will. Little object lessons. And I believe that Jesus spoke in this way for several reasons. And I can think of three that I believe are pretty good reasons why Jesus taught the way that he did, employing parables instead of just explaining line by line, idea by idea, all these great things of God. The first, perhaps the most obvious reason, is because the things of God are so big and our minds are so small that we needed some way to access that information, to understand it, to relate to it in somehow. So instead of teaching in great big terms that we couldn't understand or in concepts that would really stretch our mind beyond our capabilities, he would put things down in a more succinct and tight little seed form and teach us things in story form or in parable. You think of coins, sheep, nets, seeds. These very simple things from nature or just general life occurrences That I may not understand all the issues of the atonement and redemption and the great controversy, but I do understand planting a seed and watching it grow. So we would take these massive ideas and boil them down to succinct packages called parables or object lessons. So number one reason I think he would teach in parables is to help the people who are hearing these big truths for the first time have a way to understand them. It would bridge them across this great unknowing divide and help them understand these big ideas that God had. So number one, they could be understood at the time he spoke them. But reason number two is that not only would they be understandable when they were first spoken, but they would be recallable when they would go home and think about it. Now, I know this has never happened to anyone here, so this is all theory, what I'm about to say. But there have been times that people have gone to church and heard a very good message, fantastic message, good points, good Bible study, everything was laid out, and oh, man, it was great. And two weeks later, you're like, you remember that really good thing? Me neither. (laughs) And you're like, I know it was something about, it had some words, and there were texts that went with it, and there, there was the one that was, I don't know, it was really good though. And that's what you get. I don't think the people did that when they left the teachings of Jesus. 
When they left, they got it the first time, and then they remembered it later. And the way that he would do this, he would encapsulate these big teachings in such simple everyday things that every time you were sifting through your pocket and you saw a coin, you remember, hey, there's a story in there. There's a lesson in there. There's a teaching in there for me about, am I a lost coin? Am I a lost sheep? Am I a prodigal son? You would start to recall the teachings of Jesus. They would make it easy for memory. So number one, it would make it accessible and understandable the first time around, and then it would keep it in such a form that you would have to be confronted with it later, and it would be easy to call to mind. So it's easily understood and easily remembered. Now number three. As you understand it the first time, you get the first glance. Have you ever had that experience where you read a book once and you get it, then you read it again and you get it in whole new eyes? You see things, I didn't know that was sitting there. You mean that was on page? I didn't even know. Then you read it again, and sure enough, I believe that the parables of Jesus and the simple teachings of these deep truths were meant to be unpacked. So that as you would understand it and then take it home later and remember it, then you remember it again, and you'd start to think about it a little bit more. You'd kind of wrestle with it. You'd chew on it. You'd ponder, cogitate, meditate, if you will, which true biblical meditation is not the emptying of the mind, by the way. It's the filling of the mind with the truth of God. And you would think about, what does it mean? You think about first the blade and then the ear. Why would he talk about that? And how does that relate to me? What's the difference between a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son? You start realizing, you know, a coin doesn't know that it's lost. It just is. <laughs> a sheep knows that it's lost and doesn't know how to get the way home. And a son knows that he's lost, and he knows exactly how to get home. He's just choosing not to. Am I a sheep? Am I a coin? Am I a son? And you start putting these things together, and they start to unpack and unfold as you review them. And you compare this story with that story, and this scripture with that scripture, and all of a sudden, your understanding of the things of God broadens, and it deepens, and you are firmly rooted in what God was trying to teach, His truth. So I believe Jesus spoke parables for three reasons. Number one, it's easier to understand it the first time you hear it. Number two, it's easier to remember later. And number three, they're built to unfold and enlarge as you repeat and think about them over and over. Have we made sense so far? Okay, good. Are you going to remember it next week? Okay, I'll take that laughter as an amen. I'm with you. All right. So you think about it. Every time they run into a, a lost coin or they think about a flower, And you think about, what was the lesson Christ was teaching about the simplicity of the flower and its natural beauty and the unadorned beauty that comes with it? The marvelous and mysterious growth of a plant, the the frustrating reality of weeds mixed in with the wheat. When you run into some stubborn weeds, why are they here? Oh yeah, Jesus told us about that. That's why we have these things. Steps to Christ, page 85. Our Savior bound up his precious lessons with the things of nature. The trees, the birds, flowers of the valleys, the hills, the lakes, and the beautiful heavens, as well as the incidents and surroundings of daily life, were all linked with the words of truth, that his lesson might thus be often recalled to mind, even amid the busy cares of life's, uh, of man's life of toil. Now you think, how can I be familiar with the deep things of God? How can I become a biblical scholar and, and a deep thinker? Well, I must Just study all the time, 
and be alone and repeat and repeat and repeat and just grind through it and separate myself from the world. But no, 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 no. Christ intended that his truth would be constantly in your mind, and every time you ran into something in life, it would actually spark new realities and broader perspectives on the truth he taught. So it was supposed to be carried into the life and sharpened in everyday business. It wasn't just for the retreat center or just for Sabbath morning or just for your private devotions. It was to be carried all throughout the day, learning, growing, broadening, deepening. And of course, with these simple object lessons, what they reveal about God his love and his plan of redemption, his great themes of truth. The, the nature and these object lessons reveal in a very general way, but the word of God itself explains those same truths in very explicit language. It literally writes it out. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the, 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 the significance of the import of this, but God, who is far beyond anything that we can think or imagine, who even says, your ways are not my ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, He's far beyond our understanding, and he could just say, trust me, and that's it. But no, 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 he wrote us a book, and he explains himself in his ways as far as we can understand it. He gives us, in writing, his thoughts. The Bible says that this is inspired, that God breathed, and he gave them to us. He literally wrote them down in a book. Steps to Christ, page 87, tells us God speaks to us in his word. Here we have in clearer lines the revelation of his character, of his dealings with men, and the great work of redemption. So the question comes, after I've seen the love of God and accepted him in my life, and I've uh, I've been converted anew, and now I'm working for him, now that I have established this Christian walk, how do I continue to walk in it, and how do I continue to grow? was by the unfolding of these truths that are found in God's lessons and in his words specifically in our daily life. Now, I believe that Christians in general and Seventh-day Adventists in particular are prone to a particular danger when it comes to your spiritual life and maintenance and growth of Christian character. Now, as Seventh-day Adventists, we rightfully shun any thinking of, I'm once saved, therefore I'm always saved. Right? You would never say, like, well, you know what, I gave my life to Christ in 1983, so I'm good in 2014. No, 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 you say, no, 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 it's a daily walk with Christ, it's a daily surrender, you're constantly growing. We're good with that when it comes to salvation. But when it comes to Scripture study... I fear that a great many of us, though not consciously, subconsciously accept the premise that once I've learned, I've always learned. That I came to a Revelation seminar in 1983, and I heard that message about the 2300 days, and I'm good. And that's a danger. That's a very significant danger. We read, our bodies are built up from what we eat and drink. You ever heard you are what you eat? Yeah. And it's pretty easy to tell carrots from donuts when you see people. Let me just go back to Steps of Christ, page 88. 
Our bodies are built up from what we eat and drink, and as in the natural economy, so in the spiritual economy. It is what we meditate upon that will give tone and strength to our spiritual nature. You are what you eat, physically and spiritually. Paul had to confront the stilted Christian growth of the feeble faith of the people he was in contact with. Because apparently some of them had settled for a once learned, always learned. I had that great, delicious dish 20 years ago. For instance, take, let's go to the book of Hebrews. Take a look here. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And we'll start in verse 9. Let me give you an example of this. Hebrews chapter 5, starting with verse 9. Now, right in the middle of this sentence, and if you want to read the broader context, you see that the Apostle Paul is trying to teach about the parallel between the ministry of Christ and his priesthood and the ministry of Melchizedek and his priesthood. Now, trying to relate the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ and the high priestly ministry of Melchizedek is not Christianity 101. It's a deeper truth. It presumes that you've heard of Melchizedek and you're familiar with the story in Genesis where he appears. It assumes that you know some of the facts about his life and are also know about Christ's life and can synthesize the two together. It's a deeper step. It's the deeper end of the pool, if you will. And Paul is in the middle of this explanation. And look in verse 9, what we read. Hebrews chapter 5. And having been perfected, he became, and that's capital H, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Comma. And now watch what he does in verse 11. Of whom we have much to say. So he's like, we could talk about Melchizedek and his relation to Christ and vice versa and the themes of salvation and the high priestly ministry and the earthly sanctuary and the heavenly sanctuary. There's so much we could say, but of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become what? Dull of hearing. Now notice this. He doesn't say since you are dull of hearing. It's like, I could teach you these things, but you are not, you know... capable. Apparently, this dullness of hearing is something they've arrived at. You have become dull of hearing. Why? Why would he say that? I'd love to teach you these deep things, but you guys can't, you know, take it. Why would he say that? Well, he explains himself. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be what? Teachers. Well, just look at that text. Is he talking to new believers here? No, he's talking to people who've been here for some time. Right? They've become this way over time. And by this time, I should expect that you would be teaching others. But you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God. Christianity 101, the basics. And you have come to need milk and not what? Solid food. Notice that you've come, you've become, since by this time, you've come to need. There's nothing wrong with giving milk to babies. 
You're supposed to give mother's milk to babies, but there's a time when they're going to be weaned off and get on to solid food, yes? And Paul's like, you ought to be on solid food, but you're still nursing. Notice he says here, verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Notice he's talking about you've been here in a certain amount of time. You should be experienced enough. You should be mature enough in your Christian walk that I don't have to be just giving you milk. But he says, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses, what's that next word? Exercised to discern both good and evil. Apparently, spiritual maturity and development just like in the natural world, world, requires exercise. Does that make sense? So if you have a, 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 a weakness or, or, or a, a feebleness in your walk with Christ, you don't say, well, I'm just not good at it, so I'll avoid it. No, no, no. You work on it and you strengthen it. Say, well, I, I'm not really good at Bible studies. I'm not really good at knowing this and that. I don't really know where the texts are on the Bible. It's just not my thing. You clo- no, 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 no. You open it back up. You walk through it. You understand it a little bit more. You exercise. Steps of Christ, page 88. The theme of redemption is one that the angels desire to look into. Do you realize that you have a perspective on the plan of salvation that the angels do not? Now, they've watched the whole thing from beginning to end, but you've experienced it from being in the hole and being pulled out, yes? So they would love to understand and be on that side to try to... They want to understand this thing more fully. They want to see every side to this big picture. The theme of redemption is one that the angels desire to look into. It will be the science and the song of the redeemed throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. So let's just think about this simply. If there are things about the plan of redemption that we're not even going to understand throughout eternity, is it safe to think we know it all now? No. No. Which is her next rhetorical question. Is it not worthy of careful thought and study now? The infinite mercy and love of Jesus, the sacrifice made in our behalf, call for the most serious and solemn reflection. That means think about it. And notice uh, notice the action verbs here. We should dwell upon the character of our dear Redeemer in intercession. We should meditate upon the mission of Him who came to save people from their sins. As we thus contemplate heavenly themes, our faith and love will grow stronger and our prayers will be more and more acceptable to God because they will be more and more mixed with faith and love. Have you ever thought that prayers can be better than they are now because they're faithless, lifeless, unintelligent, just kind of bleh? That God actually wants you to have your mind engaged when you talk to Him. Have you ever had conversations with some people that are better than conversations with others? Because they're actually familiar with the things you're talking about? The same is true in your relationship with God. It's not just approaching a stranger all the time. It's being acquainted with his mind and understanding his word that he's given us. Notice this, though. They will be intelligent and fervent. And we're going to get into it. There's a chapter on prayer coming. We're going to talk about that. But prayer can be more intelligent than it is. 
there will be constant confidence in Jesus and a daily living experience in His power to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by Him. I can't tell you how many times. Of course, it hasn't ever happened in this church. The people will ask me the most basic, fundamental, milk question about the Bible Where's that one text that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it something? <laughs> and I'm taken aback. Like, are, is this a funny? Are you telling a joke? <laughs> yeah. Now, of course, that's a, probably an absurd example. I hope everyone knows Exodus 20, verse 8 starts the fourth commandment. If not, you're like, he gave the answer away. Good. And I'm torn, when people come and ask the most basic question, I'm torn as to what is my responsibility. Is it best for them that I tell them, or should I tell them, go look it up? I wrestle with that. Is it possible for a Christian, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, to be in the church for years? and still not be able to explain the things that they claim to believe and give a defense from Scripture of the faith they claim to have? And here's the scariest thing about it all, perhaps the scariest thing, is that whatever I would tell that person, they'd probably believe. Now, I'm not setting out to lie, and I certainly have no intention on doing so, but what if I were wrong? How would you know the difference? Do you believe the things that you believe because you have a daily thriving Word of God experience? You know, no, I saw it this morning. I know it for myself. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've got the Word hidden in my heart. Or is it because, yeah, I go to a church that teaches that. Mm. Let's go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I wish more was said about this group of people, but the reason there isn't more said about them is because they were good and they're done. <laughs> you know, we think, like, I would love to be in a church. Wouldn't it be great if we got an epistle from an apostle that would say, like, first Muskegans, second Muskegon? Wouldn't that be neat? Then I think, what, what, what would be in the letter? <laughs> Maybe not. You mean you read first Corinthians, second Corinthians? Mm, I don't know if I want to be in Corinth. Oh, Galatians. Cost about fooling and oof i don't getting a letter from paul was not necessarily good news praise the lord the mail came today and the apostle paul sent us a letter signed just for us (sighs) but there's one group of people mentioned here that never got a letter from paul at least not that we're aware of it's not recorded in scripture at least acts chapter 17 verse 10 then the brethren immediately sent paul and silas away by night to berea And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair, what? Minded. It doesn't say they were more fair-hearted. They weren't nicer people. They were sharper people. These were more fair-minded than those where? In Thessalonica. But we have two letters to the Thessalonians, right? May not necessarily be good news. Now, there's nothing wrong with receiving a letter, but what I'm saying is that He compares these to those in Thessalonica and says these are more fair-minded. Why? 
in that they receive the word with all readiness, so they're open to receiving the truth, and searched the scriptures how often? Daily. For what purpose? To find out whether these things were so. Do you think that would insult the Apostle Paul? What, you're not going to take my word for it? You know who I am, right? I'm kind of a big deal. I'm the Apostle Paul. You probably heard about me. I've written several letters. They said, that's great, Paul. We appreciate your message. That's wonderful. We're praying for you. We're going to go home and double check. And he said, praise the Lord. That is noble. That is more fair-minded. That is strength. And that's the end of what we know about them. Basically, Paul was like, these guys are great. Next. The more familiar we are with the text of Scripture, and the more we reflect upon the deep themes it reveals, this will have at least two major benefits. There's at least two. There's far more than two. But at least two major benefits of being familiar with the Bible ourselves from a daily devotional perspective, from, from thinking and meditating on these great themes, two major benefits. Number one, we'll have a safeguard against sin. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, I do not feel like eating bread. Is that what he said? Let me ask you a question. Did Christ feel like eating bread? Yes. The Bible specifically said he was in what condition? Hungry. But he does not operate on his feelings, but by a thus saith the Lord. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Christ obviously had this word hidden in his heart. He didn't whip out a scroll and he'd go through all the little lines and find just the right text. Aha, that's what it is, and come back a week later. He knew it. Now, watch the next thing that the devil does. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Can Satan use a it is written in his attacks? Of course. Just because someone comes with a piece of Scripture does not mean they're coming with the truth in its entirety. Does that make sense? Is it possible to take a piece of Scripture, take it out of its context, and try to make it look like it's saying something it never meant to say? Of course, this is exactly what Satan did. So how do you get around that? Well, you have to know all the Scripture testimony. You have to understand things in order to put that one in line with the rest of the testimony of Scripture. Notice here we said, And said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. Is it truly written that way? Yes. And into their hands, in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Yes, does that mean that you can therefore throw yourself off a cliff and say, Lord, your word says... I can't really whistle that well, but you want to... <laughs> of course not. Jesus said to him, it is written... What's that next word? Again. Now, I don't mean that he's... I don't think he's just saying, just like I told you it is written the first time, I'm saying it is written again. He's saying, 
He's saying in another place of Scripture, it also says this. You've got to put all the pieces of Scripture together on a topic. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Number eight, verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. A familiarity and a hiding of scripture in our heart and understanding of the deep themes that the scripture reveals, not just a point of a text or a point of a text, but how they relate together is a safeguard against sin. You can know when false teaching is coming because you have a broader picture in mind. You see that the puzzle piece doesn't go there. Psalm 119 again, where we got our call to worship this morning. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, in fact, the longest chapter in the Bible. And it's all about the Word of God. It talks about the commandments, the law, the counsel, the precepts, the Word. And over and over, these are all synonyms for the Scriptures. Psalm 119, starting this time with verse 9. It asks this question. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your what? Your Word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And now notice verse 13. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. So not only does he want the word of God in him and to understand it for himself, but then with that understanding he has more confidence to share it with others. Which brings us to point number two. The second reason, the second major benefit of committing the words and themes of the Bible to memory is that we have something more intelligent and convincing to share with people when the time for sharing comes. Not only is it a safeguard for us personally against sin, but it also gives us something to say when someone asks about what your faith is. And this will happen. It's going to happen. 1 Peter chapter 3. It was one of the expectations that all who came to a faith in Christ and a knowledge of His Word would be representatives of that truth to others. They would not just hold it personally and keep it quietly, but that they would be the proclaimers, they would be the announcers, the explainers of this truth to other people. Thus we see in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Much like we read in Psalm 119, here in 1 Peter 3.15, we read, But sanctify the Lord God where? In your hearts. Sanctify means to set apart as holy, right? Consciously set apart this, your heart and give it to the Lord and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There's an expectation that as a Christian, someone's going to ask about your faith. And particularly as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, you're going to get a lot of questions that other people don't ask. Right? And if your best answer is, because it's somewhere in the Bible it says so, or you should really come to church one day, our pastor will teach it to you right away, 
or fill in the blank with any other obfuscating answer. They're going to immediately say, you don't even know why you, you built your life on this and you don't even know it for yourself? And that is a legitimate rebuke. You're telling me you go to church on the seventh day and you can't even show me from the Bible why it's Saturday and not Sunday? I mean, how do you come up with the idea that the investigative judgment began in 1844? With your Bible right here, right now, right here at the shop, right here in the grocery store, can you show me this? Where does the Bible teach that there's a sanctuary in heaven? How can you be sure that there won't be a secret rapture? Till it's too late. Why do you insist that my sweet, dearly beloved Christian grandmother is not in the presence of Jesus right now? How dare you? Well, there's a, there's a, you should watch an amazing, come on, do you own it for yourself or is this you just repeating something else that somebody else believes? Is it your belief? By the way, during this season that we're coming into this time of the year, a lot of people are thinking about Christ's first coming. Wouldn't it be great if there were a, a people that could explain something about his second coming? When they're going to ask about Jesus and what's the meaning of Christmas? Please tell me we don't leave it at the first coming when we know he's about to come again. Our temptation in such situations is to defer to a supposed expert, like a pastor or a teacher or conference officer or an author of this great book that I read or some scholar down at a university, which there's nothing wrong with pastors, teachers, administrators, and scholars. Everyone has their place, but that doesn't replace your walk with Christ and your study of his word. Friends, the Bible was not merely written for some people to understand and the rest of us just to accept what they understand. Every Christian should have a direct connection with Jesus Christ and the truth of his word through your own study of the Bible. We read in Steps of Christ, page 89, the Bible was not written for the scholar alone. Now, it's good for scholars to read the Bible. It's deep. It's got things they'll never understand in this life. There's a great field of study, but it's not just for scholars. I don't know Greek. I can't really understand. Stop it. Pick it up and read it. The Bible was not written for the scholar alone. On the contrary, it was designed for the common people. Do do you, do you find the irony of that? That some people accept that there is a God who's huge and infinite and beyond knowing, yet he wrote us a book so that we can understand, but I can't understand the book. That God wrote it in such a way that I can't understand it. Sure, God gave me a book, but he failed to write it in a language I can read. The great truths that are necessary for salvation are made as clear as noonday, and none will mistake and lose their way except those who follow their own judgment instead of the plainly revealed will of God. We should not take the testimony of any man as to what the Scriptures teach, but should study the words of God for ourselves. If we allow others to do our thinking, we shall have crippled energies and contracted abilities." The noble powers of the mind may be so dwarfed by lack of exercise 
on themes worthy of their concentration as to lose their ability to grasp the deep meaning of the Word of God. Wouldn't it be so sad to sit right next to a Bible but never have read the Bible so that now you no longer can read the Bible? That that sharpness, that energy, that potential was zapped. The mind will enlarge if it is employed in tracing out the relation of the subject of the Bible, comparing Scripture with Scripture, spiritual things with spiritual things. Just because you don't get it yet doesn't mean you won't get it at all. Just because you can't run a marathon yet doesn't mean you can't start to learn how to walk. Start with where you are and grow. Just like we talked about with witnessing to others, many of us are weak not because we lack potential or latent ability, but because we've never developed the ability that's sitting right inside all along. It's not that you can't. You just can't yet because you haven't built up to that level. And wonder of wonders, what is the single greatest thing designed for the strengthening of our intellect? You think, you know, some of these prophecies are too deep. Some of this Old Testament, some of these teachings of Jesus, oh, the, the end of the Bible, the revelation, oh, this stuff is so hard and so deep, I just can't. Will you know what God's remedy for unable to read is? Reading God's Word. I know that sounds a little bit odd, but the very goal is the way to get to the goal. Okay? Think about this. There is nothing, this is Seps Christ, page 90, there is nothing more calculated to strengthen the intellect than the study of the Scriptures. By the way, this works in school, too. Young people, high school, college age, if you're trying to get a degree... It's great. Learn science. Learn nursing. Learn accounting. Learn mathematics. Whatever the thing is. But if you make your study, your first and foremost study the Word of God, you'll be able to learn those other things better. Your mind will be sharpened. There is nothing more calculated to strengthen the intellect than the study of the Scriptures. No other book is so potent to elevate the thoughts, to give vigor to the faculties, as the broad ennobling truths of the Bible. If God's word were studied as it should be, men would have a breadth of mind and a nobility of character and a stability of purpose rarely seen in these times. And you have to remember when she was writing these times. Has our society become more literate and more deep and thoughtful of religious things or have we gone even more shallow? Friends, if you study the word of God, if you sharpen your mind on this stone of his giving, You will stand out like a flag, like a banner in these superficial, thin, vapid times. Friends, read your Bibles. Every one of us needs a daily devotional life consisting not merely of inspiring words about the Bible, but the inspired words of the Bible itself and the inspiration from the spirit of prophecy directly. I'm so glad to be part of the Michigan Conference. I tell you this from my deepest soul. And right now, a powerful resource for helping you read and deeply study the Bible and the spirit of prophecy is being finalized. And I say finalized because there's light at the end of the tunnel on this project. We've been working on it for a long time. By the Training Center Church Committee that I sit on at the Michigan Conference to help address this very need. And in the next couple months, I expect to be able to share that discipleship handbook with you. But until then... Just pick up the Bible that you have and the Spirit of Prophecy books that go along with it and start reading. It's not hard. And I'd love to say, here's my challenge. Start reading. But 
I can't think of anything more simple than take the Bible you already have and read it. For instance, start with Genesis if you want and read the companion book, Patriarchs and Prophets. Read them together. See how inspired words will sharpen your mind. Study the gospel record of the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And along with it, those fantastic works like the desire of ages, thoughts for the amount of blessings, steps to Christ, Christ object lessons, beautiful, marvelous, inspired words that help you understand these great themes and truths of God's word. Dive into the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. The water's fine. Jump on in. Along with that tremendous epic, the great controversy, read inspired material directly from the hand of God and your mind will be sharpened. I guarantee that it's the case. So that's my challenge to you. If you don't already have one, begin a regular, preferably daily devotional life that's not just inspiring words, but inspired words from the very heart of God. And you will see that your mind will be sharpened. You will see that resistance to temptation will be strengthened. You'll have better things to say when people ask you for a reason for the hope, and you'll continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.